Good morning. Uh, I've experienced the very first miracle of Mother's Day. I'm awake. (laughs) Now, that may seem a little silly, but my wife and I are taking care of a a little foster baby, a four-month-old. And uh, quite honestly, uh, things weren't looking good at 4 a.m. They weren't looking good at 5 a.m., they weren't looking good at, at 6 a.m., but uh, here I am, and I thank God for it. I'm also uh, thankful to uh, Margie for showing that uh, video. It looks a lot like our house does presently. So uh, anyway, here's the thing. I wouldn't confuse, however, for a believer, uh, a messy house with a messy home. They're two very different things. And our text today gets a little bit into that. And so if you'll uh, join me, we will uh, look at it in a moment. But uh, anyway, today is Mother's Day. And uh, Mother's Day is about recognizing and thanking mom for all the things that she does. And we might uh, share with uh, her some gifts and some tokens and, and some things like that. But of course, it never comes near being thankful for the very large job uh, that she does. We really depend on her. Mom is sort of the centerpiece of the house and, uh, and helps to hold things together, right? I mean, would you agree with that? I think so. Well, uh, Ephesians, our, our text today in Ephesians is about this dependency uh, a sim- in a similar way. But it concerns our spiritual parents, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, all three are sort of profiled here. So what I'm going to do is read through uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, and I hope you'll, uh, you'll join us, and perhaps that will come up on our uh, screen above. But I'll read chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, And uh, you're welcome to uh, follow along. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me just open us in a word of prayer. Father, we praise and thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you've allowed us to gather here. We thank you, Lord, for the moms that are here as well. And that as we receive this encouraging word, it's an encouraging word that is felt by all. And that, uh, Lord, we this day can serve you better. And to you goes all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So our text today, really, there, as you heard that, you may have heard about th- maybe three or more different things. But as I reflected on it, I think there are probably three points that come out of it. A parent who owns us, 
I think the text tells us that. Uh, God is a parent who matures us, and God is a parent who loves us. I think these three things sort of come up out of the text, and we'll see them uh, as we uh, visit the verses. So let's then begin with 14 and 15. Again, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now here, we're told about this abiding parent. And it begins with, for this reason. Now these three little words force us to look uh, to the previous text that Pastor Dan looked at last time. But to summarize, Paul is referring to a great mystery revealed to him. What is this great mystery? It's a mystery that concerns the Gentiles. Now to the Jews at that time, uh, they thought that the doors had been closed to everyone. In fact, the doors had not been closed to everyone, at least as far as God's plan is concerned. It was to throw open the doors to allow, if you like, new people into the kingdom of God, and that would be the Gentiles. The, the Gentiles then become the co-heirs with the Jews or Israel uh, to join in this kingdom, but it's conditioned upon the acceptance of the gospel message for which Paul was sent out into the Gentile world uh, to preach to them. Now, uh, men, I'll make a little plug for the men's Bible study. We're actually looking at, right now, uh, the letters of Paul, and more particularly, the book of Titus, or the letter to Titus. And we see one of the many letters that Paul sends to the churches in order to encourage them, build them up, and prepare them uh, for service. Again, you have to come and find out more, but, um, but this is what Paul is called to do. And the previous verses kind of capture this. Um, to put a little bit more on that, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, if you'd like to follow along, 3, 8 and 9 says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So this then is why Paul falls to his knees. Whether it's sort of literal or it's uh, symbolic, it's showing something about Paul. His gratefulness to God for flinging the doors open and allowing the Gentiles to come in. And I'd say also for flinging the doors open and allowing the worst of all sinners, as Paul calls himself, to be the administer of this gospel. You could see why he might fall to his knees. Another point about these verses, it uses the word patera, patera in the Greek, which means father. Now I'm gonna have you hang on to that for a moment, but it's a very endearing kind of word. It shows closeness with God. Um, but uh, verse 15 moves us into a discussion that has to do a little bit more with intimacy. Notice it also says, uh, the whole family. Well, what's the significance of this? 
Well, once again, uh, the English is sort of quiet in a way, but the Greek speaks to us most powerfully. The word for family is uh, patria. So there's patera and patria kind of occurring in the same set of verses, and uh, it sounds a little familiar. And in fact, that's what Paul meant to do, uh, to show a relationship between the family of believers and uh, the father who called them. And it shows a relationship, a oneness, a tightness. Uh, in the first century, a father's responsibility was to take care of his family. I mean, that was sort of the primary thing to do. Abandonment of the family was not considered socially acceptable. Uh, and so the father, this designation, ends up being very important because it's saying he's going to take care of us, or more properly, he owns us. So this is at least part of, of sort of what's buried in there. But notice also it talks about the composition of the family. The composition of the family is believers in heaven and on earth. Now that's quite a wide net to, to stretch across all of time and space and places, right? But it's referring to the Old Testament believers, the believers during the time of Paul, those to the present and those beyond our time as well. All believers are part of the patria, the family, uh, from whom we receive the name uh, from God the Father. So these opening verses make a very significant point. We have a spiritual parent who owns us, who cares for us, and doesn't simply leave us alone. Now, a little sad commentary. As I sort of uh, reflected on uh, these verses, this segment of text, um, I couldn't help but think of uh, the way things are today. Children have been abandoned, uh, unfortunately, and there are many thousands in the state of Connecticut alone. Across the country, there are hundreds of thousands. Across the world, there are millions and for all kinds of reasons. And it's, again, a very sad state of affairs. My wife Grace and I, as some of you know, we do foster care, and so we, we see a lot of this stuff uh, firsthand. And, and again, it, uh, it, it's, it's hard to see. But I'd like to report some good news. Our Father in Heaven, who brings spiritual children into the world, uh, he has claimed you, he owns you, and he won't abandon you. This is the consistent teaching of the entire Bible. Some of you uh, know well that text from Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Well, so you might be drawing the connection that only a parent that owns you can make that guarantee. And he's got to walk with you through life in order to make it happen. So God is precisely that kind of parent, one who owns us. But the second point is that God is a spiritual parent who matures us. And that's in the next, the next couple of verses, verses 16 and 17. Let's, let's look at them again. I pray 
that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, these uh, verses are positioning Paul as the great intercessor, uh, sort of in an Old Testament uh, kind of way. He's the priest that steps into that gap between man and God, and he says, God, on behalf of these people, I want to say this. And he goes on to offer his prayer. So it's very much in keeping with kind of an Old Testament picture. But he wants the father to now attend to or provide for his spiritual children. Once again, don't lose sight of the fact that if, uh, if we are to be successful in this life and that God owns us, he, he's got to do something about it. It's not just a, a kind of necessarily a mystical kind of thing. Uh, well, he wants the father to attend to or provide for his spiritual children. And so we have a job to do, and we need whatever that something might be to mature us. But how will, uh, how will we do this? Well, uh, he first, how will God do this? He first, uh, in Paul's petition, in his prayer, he turns to the divine Fort Knox right? The divine treasury. That's sort of where he, he begins. And he speaks about the glorious riches. Now, you shouldn't just sort of skip over that. Paul is trying to say something about the magnificent provisions of God. And he pictures it as kind of uh, gold and jewelry and so forth, the thing that kings own. And that this king is going to give and share his uh, treasure with you. It's not about skimpy handouts. It's not about second-hand things, as wonderful perhaps as time, times can be with uh, things given to us. But it turns out he's got, it's God giving his best. That's what Paul is asking for. Uh, but what is the provision that he's asking for? That we're to be strengthened in the inner man. Now, as I looked at this, I thought, well, what is the business of the inner man? Today, when you turn on the TV, people don't think and talk about strengthening uh, in a way uh, in the inner person. They are very concerned with the outer person. Uh, it's all about, you see, being fit. Uh, it's all about going to your local uh, workout location and bench pressing more and looking good. It's about conditioning the outer man. So much of uh, what goes on in the commercial activity of television and radio, we see this kind of thing. But why might Paul not really be too concerned about just uh, getting more buff, if you like. Well, at least part of it is because so much of the stuff we encounter in life is about an inner strength, not an exterior strength. Um, Paul says in, uh, in a few places, but just to give you a feeling for that, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Corinthians, don't lose heart, he says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by 
day. God is perhaps concerned on the exterior, but it's the interior. Uh, that's where we need a little rejuvenation and a little building up. In a, a, perhaps a more relevant way, Paul also writes, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life <clears throat> and the one to come, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, so Paul's general idea is that the outer man uh, might be attended to. But it's really the inner man where maturity is developed. And here, this is developed through work of the Spirit. Now, some believe, you know, hey, once I come to faith, it's sort of like a done deal. I don't have to do anything else. But that's a, a bit of a misunderstanding of, again, the Bible's own witness. Once you come to faith, you now walk with the very spirit that has drawn you to the Father. And that spirit is trying to do redemptive, redeeming things inside of you. Uh, and there's much to do. I know that's certainly the case, my case, uh, but uh, there's a lot to do internally. And you could see through the years, perhaps as you've walked with God, that there are many changes. Maybe you're praying a little more. Maybe you're reading your Bible a little more. Maybe you're being more loving. That's because of uh, the Spirit's interior work. But I'm a little ahead of myself because you might be saying, well, how exactly does the Spirit do all of this stuff internally? And it really is a very good question. How does the Spirit, for example, gift us? Right? We hear about these gifts from the Spirit. And so often, uh, we just sort of uh, pass over that. But we pass over it for a good reason. Because we really don't know how the Spirit is, is changing us or redeeming us uh, from within, or conforming us to the pattern of Christ. We don't know that, but we do know that as we exercise faith in combination with what the Spirit is doing in our lives, that, that redemptive work is underway. It's measured, perhaps, more in our activity than it is, uh, say, under uh, the lens of a microscope where we might actually see something happening. As we exercise our faith and we're walking with God and He with us, all kinds of wonderful things begin sort of percolating in our hearts and in our lives. Christ is dwelling within us, but uh, we see tangible things happening. For example, we begin to see people saying, I'll go on that missions trip. We begin to see others saying, you know, I'll go down to the Bridgeport Rescue Mission and be a hands to help out in the pantry. Uh, we see others say, well, I'll, I'll pray uh, for so-and-so about this trouble they're having. Someone else says, you know, I'm going to take up the charge of doing a Bible study and a men's breakfast, and we have a lot of men that, that do that and do it well, and share their very touching testimonies with us that are transformative for all of us. That's the kind of thing that we see. We may also see the fruits of the Spirit. Yes? We, you know, we can't forget that. The fruits of the Spirit, as you'll recall, are... Uh, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as it says in Galatians. All of these things work out in people's lives as they get involved with missions or helping the poor or maybe fostering a little baby. And, uh, you know, it's these kinds of things. This is what God would have us do in the world, but this is the strengthening that's happening inside that's visible from the outside. So while we don't know the exact nuts and bolts of the strengthening in the inner man, we see the results. God is a parent who owns us and a responsible parent who matures us. But God is also a God who loves us. Let's take up the last few verses and see how that is. Uh, it goes on to say uh, in verses around 17 to uh, the close of 19 with Paul's second prayer. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power I should shut off my own cell phone. Uh, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of all the fullness of God. So this is Paul's second petition, his second prayer as that intercessor for the saints. He prays for the divine attribute that really is the mark of all believers, uh, all uh, followers of Christ, and that is love itself. But how does he mature then uh, believers so that they uh, become this uh, loving person? Well. Again, here we learn that Christ is in us, and this perhaps is unsurprising that we might be loving as our master is loving. Uh, but love then becomes that motivation to do all the things uh, that we do. But Paul uh, goes on to say there's some quality about this love that is almost, uh, it's, it's intangible, itself is unseen but it's irreversibly there in, in, the, uh, in the believer. It says that uh, we're being rooted, and you being rooted and established in love. So he's using a couple of pictures or metaphors here. Uh, one is agricultural, the other is architectural, if you like. Uh, the agricultural one is the being rooted in love. Uh, that just like a root uh, for a, a large tree sinks its little roots down into the ground and you can't remove it, so also this love ought to be rooted in us and is if Christ is within us. But the architectural thing is the establishment, the building. It's like you're on a solid foundation. So Paul is almost doubling up. And Paul is saying that this is the, the internal love that we ought to have. It's a, very good, it's a very good picture. Think of that love picture as one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that you also understand and grasp how you are loved. 
That comes out of the text as well. Well, for that, he kind of uh, turns to a third idea. Paul prays that all of the saints understand or grasp or hold on to the love of Christ. Uh, And for that, he imagines with a sort of a third picture, a kind of geometric shape. Uh, He says that uh, it's essentially the measurements of a cube, you might uh, have noticed. He talks about the height, the length, the width, and then also the depth of uh, this love. Well, in, in a way, the Greeks would have understood it. The Greeks themselves uh, were great mathematicians. If you read their history, you discover that they were sort of the discoverers of the compass and the ruler. And with the compass and the ruler, they created uh, math and uh, much of what we know. So much uh, credit also goes to, uh, to others in the world, but certainly the Greeks, you, you have to acknowledge that their contribution to geometry uh, was uh, incredible. So to the Greeks, knowledge was math, and Paul is sort of drawing out a little bit of that here. Uh, And he's saying, just as this knowledge is full, it's expressing the fullness of a geometric shape, uh, Christ uh, loves you fully. You see, it's a a little bit of a a picture that he's trying to draw for the Grecian Ephesians, because that's what they were. And they'd say, oh, I get it. So a cube is kind of a, a full, the measurements are a full expression of it, and Christ loves me fully. Yep, that's, that's exactly it. But then, almost in a, a little bit of a, an offhanded way, he goes on to say, uh, yeah, well, he loves you that much. Uh, but as it turns out, Christ's love for you is immeasurable because he also says that the love of Christ surpasses this knowledge uh, as well. So what's happening here? Paul is piling up the love of Christ upon the believer. He wants the believer to be totally aware of this love. In the closing parts of uh, verse 19, he says uh, about this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, Paul doesn't imagine that any of us could fully comprehend all about God, if you like, the fullness of God. He doesn't think that we could fully grasp this love. He doesn't think that we could fully grasp the being of God, because we can't. But insofar as we're able to understand all that we can about God, he's praying that to that extent, you get it. And particularly, uh, the love of God. That you get that. Because while you might express your love, remember that other side of the coin, and show your love, and be loving because of how the Spirit fills you up, you have to understand, you are loved too. You are loved that much. So perhaps you're here today and you're not feeling particularly loved. Again, the good news is you are. 
You are loved with a love that surpasses knowledge. It is immeasurable. And next time when uh, uh, perhaps Pastor Dan will be looking at the closing part of this chapter, we'll see that that love is, is really quite immeasurable, but he'll take that up at that time. The point here is God is a parent who loves us, and that love is immeasurable. So let's go ahead and wrap up. God is a parent to believers. Uh, he was there when we were born, and he is continuously present in our lives. He owns us. God is a parent who cares about our spiritual maturity. He wants us to exercise dependency on him so that as we walk through this world that we can uh, show love, that we can uh, do the things he's called us to do through faith and become Christ-like. See, God is a parent who matures us. And lastly, God is a parent who loves us. Perhaps this is the greatest uh, consistent message of the Bible. Some think it is not. They would look at the Old Testament and say, that's not a loving God. God walks with individuals. God walks with nations. God walks with and attends to the angels. God attends to the very creation itself. Does that sound like a hateful God? There's usually a place and explanation for things that might seem as though God is not loving that we could take up. But God is a God who loves. We see it on page one in Genesis and we see it at the very end in uh, the book of Revelation. He's there with us. He's a God who walks with us. And the closing question as perhaps you leave here and go about and make merry with mom and show her how much you love her. The closing question is this about this God who walks with us. Will you walk with him? I'm confident you will. And I pray, as Paul did, uh, that you will. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we praise and thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of having a place where we could gather and worship you and talk about you and think about you and bring you into our lives so that uh, we're conformed and we might help others to be transformed. We praise you on this Mother's Day, Lord, again, thanking you for them and their great service. And we ask you to bless us this day as we leave. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you.